I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. Working at the car wash. So when I was peeing in your bathroom, I realized you had matches in there, which I at first assumed were for, for when you take a really bad poo poo. Yeah. But they're fireplace or grill matches, so they're really long. So the you only thing I could yes is that you light them, blow them out, and then you really sound them. No, I light them, put my in my peen, and then I blow them out by wiggling my peen. It's both the Kegel exercise and a way to light. So candles. you don't put the hot part in your peen? No. Pussy. Yeah. Anyway. Put it in a pussy. Welcome to the bearded dicks musical fun time. Is it fun? Is it music? Do is it pass time? The time? Yes. Yeah, it's all those things, and that's it. There's nothing more to it. Correct. I'm yeah. the beard. I am the big old dick. Who do you want to start this week? Paw Patrolo, it's up to you. I mean, I can start, and you can start. What are you going to do? Those are the only two people on the <laughs> podcast. So I'm doing something a little bit out of the norm, but... Um, it's a video game, isn't it? No. It's not anything I've ever done before, actually. Oh, so it's a type of coffee? No. Oh, that'd be a good one. But no, it's not. So, I've been trying to get into poster collecting as of late. Uh. And as much as I love Mondo, it's very hard to get their stuff. And it's very expensive, and it takes a lot of work. Well, it's not that expensive as far as stuff like this goes. But anyway... I've been looking for well-designed alternate movie posters for things. And there's a guy I found on Instagram, and I didn't even realize I followed him on Instagram, but it's a guy who goes by Ghoulish Gary. Mm -hmm. His name is actually Gary Pullen. Gary the Ghoul! Yeah, well, so... What... I want to say one of my favorites, because my favorite's The Shining, but one of my favorite horror horror movies... Is Rihanna Motter? Is Rihanna Motter. It's reanimator. <laughs> Reanimator. <laughs> so there was like a bunch of different sites I had found that do, you know, really good artistic limited runs of movie posters. Reanimator. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dick Betty. That's how I'm going to call it from ever now on. <laughs> from never now on. From from ever. Forever. Forever? Forever. Name that movie. First one to tweet us with the name of it. Is a chocolate bar. Casper with Christina Ricci. Do I get my chocolate bar now or later? Ron Amater. Anyway, um, his stuff ranges anywhere from 40 bucks to like 100. The ones that are 100 are usually 36 by 24. They're screen printed. He does have some screen printed stuff that's around 50. But he ships from Canada, and I honestly got it pretty quick. I mean, Canada's not that far from us, but yeah. still, I was surprised with the quickness of it and the quality. The poster is beautiful. You saw it. Which one? Reanimate. The Reanimator? Yeah, that one. Oh, nice. Yeah, he did a nice job. Yeah, so 
if you guys, I is know. Is he printing it or is he doing the designs? Both, I believe. He's the artist. Yes. Okay, cool. So the he's done work for uh, Waxwork Records, okay. who do horror movie soundtracks and soundtracks and stuff on vinyl. I, he's worked with Mondo. He's got a 24 by 36 for Nightmare on Elm Street up there right now that's pretty pricey. It's like 100 bucks, but they're very limited and they're numbered and signed. It was done for Mondo and everything, but it's definitely nice to not have to be tied down to buying posters only from Mondo. Sure. And being able to support an artist, I feel, a little bit more directly because he does have his own site, which is ghoulishgary.com or store... Gary the Ghoul. Gary the Ghoul. Or store.ghoulishgary.com. He is at ghoulishgary on Instagram. We should probably tag him. Sure. Um, yeah. I can send you a picture of my picture. poster picture of the poster. It hangs right next to my beautiful alternate movie poster for It Follows that kind Sir Dick Fetty got for me. But yeah, if you guys look, there are other places besides Mondo to buy posters. I think... Well, the, the thing I'll say about Mondo is I don't like about 70% of what they do. And then I also don't care about like 80% of the movies they do. So I don't even like most of the stuff I don't care about. But I do appreciate the fact that they don't just stick with one style or thing. I mean, Jay Shaw's pretty consistently working for them, which is great because he's my favorite poster artist. But even Jay Shaw has some posters that are, like, don't get me too excited. It's not that he's got bad design, but, like, sometimes his sort of taking, like, a very small piece of a film and make a poster out of it just comes up with visually something that's not super interesting but anyways mondo like has exposed me to work by artists from all over the world yeah I agree. so that's that. cool but it is tough because their stuff sells generally within 10 minutes of it going up online and it generally goes up online at like noon est but not always and you have to sit at your computer and you know when i got you the halloween 3 poster like that's what i did i had to like set an alarm and then just sit there refreshing for over an hour and then pay a bunch of money to have something that was going to not get shipped to me for six months. So Yeah. But that was pretty cool. It was pretty worth fucking it. worth it. Yeah. I love that fucking poster. But yeah, no, I hear you. It's nice to have an alternative. I mean, that's I have two, two works by Alex Deranged. That one's an original, and then I have the print is in here, in the bedroom. Maybe it's not up. I don't remember. I think I have it up somewhere, his other one I won a competition for. It's just, it, you know, because... It's it's nice not to be tied down to Mondo and to, I mean I, I I bet Jay Shaw gets a pretty penny for what he does, but he's probably on retainer. It's nice supporting artists that aren't as you know big, big yeah, yeah. and they don't have Mondo backing them up for everything. Sure. And everything Mondo sells is ridiculously crazy priced. That's not true. I mean their posters are normally fifty they're, bucks. Their their toys and stuff are oh yeah they're crazy insane. yeah. They, I mean, they have the, they were early in on a market that was just re-emerging, and they've crushed it. I don't, again, I don't care about most of it, but I don't even get butter with them, because it's like, most of what they do is not for me. It's for other people with disposable income who want to do different stuff. And it's, it's interesting, because it's the same thing that, I mean, obviously Death Waltz and Mondo are merged now, but Death Waltz stuck with the vinyl primarily, 
and I could appreciate their interest in doing packaging and unique artwork, but then at the same time, it quickly, when they tried to up the business end of it, they started sacrificing the quality artwork, in my opinion. And also, like, there's only so many good horror movie soundtracks. Like, not every horror movie has a... Good soundtrack. Yeah, an anthemic theme or, or soundtrack, or even if there's a really good theme, a lot of times there may not be substantially like the rest of the work may be just blah and i think to myself do i want to spend 40 dollars on an art object with shitty art and music i'm mostly not going to listen to and the answer is no most of the time yeah i can 100 percent get behind that so and oh so i i've i've gotten out of collecting expensive things i try not to but there are says the guy who just got into poster collecting well not all of them are... I'm not going to go out and spend $100 on a poster. That's a bit ridiculous. Sure. Unless it was signed by somebody from the movie and stuff like that. But even then, you know, like I stopped collecting individual comic books. I stopped... I don't collect any rare vinyl or anything. I buy pop vinyl when I like what I see in a store. I don't go online searching for them. And I occasionally buy Amiibos. For my switch but i just i don't have that same drive as i used to like i still love collecting shit sure but like i'm not gonna go on fucking ebay and spend you know a couple hundred bucks on some bullshit yeah well i think too from my perspective unless you're in something from early on the need to get like it's it's not collecting unless you're holding on to the majority of a thing so I don't collect Filth and Violence releases anymore, but I have almost every Filth and Violence release in all of its forms up past the ZE box set, even like a couple years past that, to the point where I have most releases on CD, vinyl, and tape, and the original tape pressings. And then it was like, what am I doing? And just part of it is I was oversaturated with this stuff, but I would be, like, labels that have already really taken off that are interesting and cool and have stuff, like, that itch will come to me and I'm like, I should get everything on this label. But now I just don't really do it. Because unless I can have it all, then I don't even want to pretend that I'm collecting it, you know what I mean? Uh, that's... Just personal preference, yeah. but... I mean, I've, pro I've mentioned this about comic books on the podcast before, sure. but that's why I don't collect individuals anymore. Because unless I can get them all... What's, what's, the, point? what's the point? And yeah. that's one of the reasons I don't even read fucking superhero comics anymore. Because yeah. one superhero will have nine fucking titles under his name. And watch, you, you're right. Probably like three years from now, my I'll you know my back will have given out, and I'll be a huddled mess and be like, I just spent three hundred dollars on this Mondo poster. Yeah. You should buy it. Psych, you can't. It's sold out you everywhere. Dumb, you dumb bitch. bitch. Gary's got you. You. Cuck. <laughs> but yeah, uh, check out Coolish Gary. He's got some phenomenal designs. I Everything I've seen on there is great on his website. Sure. He did one for Ghost Stories, which was one of my bad buys that I did before. Yeah. That movie, ugh, God. You gotta find your work where you can. So. Yeah, that's true. But um, yeah, and uh, if you buy stuff from our visit on Instagram, tell him we sent you. Yeah, so he knows what's good. Yep. 
So thanks, Gary. You're real cool. Cool <laughs> guy, Gary. He never gets into any trouble with anybody named Larry or Barry. No, not this one. Sick. Well, thank you, Ben. I appreciate that insight into the world outside of Bondo and posters and stuff. So. Yes, yes. Thank you, Dick Fatty. <sighs> we ready to crack this <laughs> disco box open? Yes. <coughs> <coughs> All right. So I would say that my recommendations tonight are pretty much in line with where I've been going musically in the past couple episodes. So there shouldn't be anything too surprising. But the first one is a band that's been known to me for ages. And then I finally like fully took the dip three, four weeks ago. And then it's basically been this band nonstop. So it's the famous New York noise rock, post-hardcore, whatever, uh, trio, Unsane, who have been around since 88, 89, if memory serves me, and they're now they're now no longer just based in New York. I think the one guy's in Cali, the other's in New York, and the other's somewhere else. And they're not sane. No. And they take their name from Dario Argento's Tenebrae, which was released in the United States under the name Unsane. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. Which I, I figured when I finally, like, I had heard the name many, many times before because I have a very limited knowledge of noise rock, but I like what I like very much. I've covered Throat several times, especially recently, but also in the past on this show. And they're, like, a an influence on them, I think, to a point. And they're just, like, one of those bands I always hear about when you hear about, like, the old, big noise rock bands. And there's right. the ones that are more, like, weirdo stuff. And then there's the ones that are more brutal. And Throat, for me, started as... Well, I mean, you can hear it. Their older recordings are more sludge-influenced. And I think, I would guess, are very Unsane-influenced. And then their later stuff becomes much more wiry and weird. Mm -hmm. And Unsane never got weird like that. They just stayed what they were from the get. And anyway, but... So, yeah, they have a bunch of classic albums. And they took a little hiatus. And then they came back. And I really like the old stuff that I've heard. I've basically heard their entire discography, at least each album, a couple times at this point. But to my own surprise, a lot of people look at their post-2000 work as being like their second phase and not as good by default because they've been around for too long. So how can a band stay good if they've been around? And every interview, review, whatever I've read is always like the classic shitty review structure of let me give you a very brief overview of this band history. Let me tell you about how every album is essentially the same thing, like formula, just with a different right. template. And essentially, like, you can quickly tell this person's never heard this band before. They've listened to them for 30 seconds, and then they're moving on to the next don't review. Listen to the, don't listen to the genre. Yeah, yeah, right. Have no context, no understanding, whatever. And I'm not an expert, but I can spot shitty music journalism from a mile away. And I just don't know why I ever indulge and read it but here i am doing it as per usual but it's even from like you know those people that are on all the like collecting websites that i'm on people still say the same shit now everybody's an amateur journalist but their 2007 album from epicac called vis queen is the fucking tits i showed you a couple songs tonight i played a couple songs the other day Rowdy. yeah dude it's so their earlier stuff is slightly more wiry and definitely less produced sounding and less bass heavy. 
And part of why I love this record so much is the bass guitar is super fucking prominent. Uh-huh. And it's a trio. So the lead singer is the guitarist and the vocalist. The drummer is the drummer. And the bassist is the bassist. And the formation as it's been now, I think, has been the same since 95 or 4. And they've just been putting out one good album after another. And Are they still together? Yeah. Oh. They just put out a new album in 2017. They toured last year. And I'm hoping and praying that it will again yeah because i sometimes get really lucky like with mortician a couple years ago and got really into them and then they just had like decided to start touring for the first time in 15 years or some shit and i caught them like a week later and sometimes i get into a band and i found that they literally broke up a week before like somebody died or whatever (laughs) and i'm like fuck i mean we talked about drunk driver and yeah my buddy was supposed to go see them and then that guy fucking the rape accusations came out and they literally broke up the day he was in new york to see them it's like come on (laughs) so yeah i mean and these guys have been around for a long time but to describe it it's basically repetitive chunky noise rock tunes that are just they're simple they're like hardcore songs that are slowed down in their structure and their repetitiveness Mm -hmm. but the the tonality the vibe all the rest is very different it's not nearly as like punk influenced as i hate god which like i've still struggled to get into and it's not as weirdo as the jesus lizard or anything like that it's very much just like horse yelling thick riffs like but good riffs well-written stuff like songs with simple-ish lyrics but effective in their sort of semi-slogan style and everything's clear it's well done like this is just a band who's been working together forever they know how to write songs they want to hear and they just do it and it's fucking sick and big fan of the lead vocalist yeah vocals. yeah the the and he it's one of those things where like i'm, I'm not going to go through and defend every album they've ever done but Again, having recently inundated myself with them, it's so easy to pick out what songs are from what albums. Like they all have a very unique, cohesive flow, aspect, production, sound, all the rest. They jump record labels almost every album and producers every album. So they all have their own unique characteristics. And this one is full of bluesier riffs. There's several songs with harmonica, which if it's in the right kind of music, fucking rules. Yeah. And I just love it. And the last song, which I didn't get to play for you, is in like an eight-minute dirge with no vocals, and then the sound of subway trains and all these field recordings they took. A little Maddie and play me one with harmonica, but please continue. I did. I did. I played Windshield has it very quickly in the beginning. I didn't even hear it. Yeah. But anyways, this album, I've listened to this like 20, like lit- literally all the way through minimally 20 times in the past two weeks, if not like closer to 30. I've really hitting it hard to the point where I had to take a couple days off and be like I don't want to burn this out for myself and they have a long history with heroin but it, to me it's entirely it am I right? yeah right it's an entirely like amphetamine alcohol album like this is what I want to like snort a couple lines of speed and then drink a lot of whiskey and get rowdy as fuck to you know what I mean or fuck to or both or like heroin addicts make rowdy music man I know I know that they do but yeah, so I like it, and then the the one interesting thing is the cover is a girl wrapped in... So famously, their first album has a dude who was decapitated by the subway train in New York. It's like an actual photo their friend stole from the police because he worked for them, and they used it as their album cover. And then most of their other albums are like staged photos, but this one... This one is a Laura Palmer-esque girl wrapped in this plastic sheeting. Love that. 
it's called visqueen it's a specific type of plastic sheeting that's like used the world round and that's what it's called so laura palmer was wrapped in visqueen plastic sheeting it's what they use for construction sites and stuff like that and i learned something when i looked that up and was like why is this called what it is huh. so yeah get this album it's fucking sick i don't even own it yet i've been listening to it on spotify like a fucking plebe and i cannot help myself what is your fucking problem dick yeah, fetty i know so to switch notes substantially completely completely yeah my <laughs> my next one is uh, in line with all the japanese psych recommendations although it's different but same circles so tomokawa kazuki who is the famous either mad poet or screaming poet depending on how he's described and it's translated but I found out about this guy by watching the movie Izo by Takashi Miike. Fuck yeah. Which is, I think, from 2004 or something. I watched it around the time it came out. I thought it was pretty cool. But throughout the film, this dude is in it, in all black, like playing an acoustic guitar, screaming in Like an angry Japanese Johnny Cash. Yeah, yeah, but like way weirder. Like very much... Like, why isn't he in every Takashi Miike film? It seems obvious that he should be yeah. here. And they have all this stock footage of, like, black and white nuclear bomb explosions and sperm and cells developing, and then he'll just be singing his songs, and then Izo's just chopping up dudes left and right. And I was really into it and thought, like, man, that guy's cool. And then I watched that movie again in high school on drugs, and I can remember Googling him back pre-YouTube. Like, there was no way to find out more, but I got his name. Of course, forgot it. And then recently was like, I need to find this dude because we watched it again. Yep. And this guy is a fucking legend in Japan. So Keiji Haino is one of the most famous and especially internationally known, like huge Japanese avant-garde icons, whatever, whatever. He's worked with all the everybody and his albums mostly sell for 35 bucks and up and his Fushi Sushi stuff is all worth a ton of money primarily. Basically, I mean, he's just a fucking legend. Um, this dude, his discography is even... At least if you're using Discogs as a metric, he he has an even bigger... Probably not a bigger following. Definitely not a bigger following. But a more devoted psycho following. Right. So the guy's released like a shitload of albums because he's been releasing albums since the late 60s, early 70s. And to find an album that's not a $100... For a used copy is hard and i'm talking like for a cd and shit because most of his stuff has never been pressed again most of it's on some of it's on psf like especially a lot of his later era stuff the rest of it's on like labels from the heyday of japanese record labels that have all gone belly up and it's a fucking nightmare and th there's a good chunk of it online i'm sure there's like devoted weirdo sites that have but it's it's the kind of stuff where like, I just am imagining some psycho Japanese collector who's got every... All of it. Yeah, you know? Fucking all of it. And, like, that's all the people that listen to this. Because it's it's such a unique style and sound and everything else. And it's, like, they've released 30 CD box sets of his work. Like, he's just prolific and it's just kept going. And it's the kind of music where I assume the lyrical content is extremely important. Wouldn't know, can't read Japanese or understand it. But... You know, it allows for then, like, when the, the backing music is less important, it's more about the lyrical content, then you can release, like, albums more frequently, I feel like, and, and it still be good. So what I have is a 
compilation CD pulling tracks from his first three albums. And even then, in the early 70s, it's clear this guy is a little bit, has like some interesting ideas. And you get some more classic sounding Japanese backing instrumentation of that era, stuff that sounds like it could be in Female Prisoner Scorpion and shit like that. But his vocal delivery, sometimes he sings more normally, but mostly it's this like screaming, emotional wavering that obviously had a huge effect on Keiji Haino and other people like that. And even though I can't understand anything he's saying, it's just like moving and interesting and just like this compilation is just endlessly enjoyable because I can't really it's decipher It's so anything. good you do not need to know the lyrics. Yeah. It's it's really like, it's just you wouldn't, like, I don't know, if you're into this kind of stuff, even remotely, like, it's surprisingly accessible because the actual backing music is mostly not hard, like, it's not difficult music, but it's the vocal delivery is so good and interesting. I don't know that I need to own 300 CDs or whatever. How much did you pay for your compilation? I think it was only like forty five dollars, thirty five. Yeah, I mean, in the realm of this guy, because I I was looking at like the albums he released that contain the music in Ezo, and the cheapest one of those I think was like a hundred and seventy five dollars. I'm like, Jesus Christ, fuck me, dude, that's from an album from ten, fifteen years ago. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? So, and then of course PSF ended two years ago when the owner of PSF fucking died due to cancer. So, forget ever getting that shit again. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know. When I go to Japan next year, I'm hoping to clean up on this, but I feel like I'm going to be... I doubt it. Yeah, right, because they don't sell their CDs any cheaper in Japan, I'll tell you that. And, like, I'm, I feel like I'll be ushered into some back room where they'll induct me into some psycho ceremony, and then I'll get to, like... One of us. Yeah. One of us. the shelves of some ultra-curated high-end... He's just sitting back there as a cult leader. Yeah. He's still alive, and he's still crushing it. But, yeah, Tomokawa Kazuki. If you can check out his stuff, which you can online, it's totally worth it. The CD I'm recommending, I don't think I've made it very clear, but it's called Early Masterpiece Collection, or at least translated (laughs) through Google, and came out in 1989 on Japan Record. Very nice. Okay, so this is a last-minute switch. I meant to do this album anyways, but I forgot. And then, So I do want to recommend a Fushi Shusha album called A Death Never to Be Complete from J Factory 1997. It's a companion album to The Time Is Nigh, and it's substantially less... It's more in line with other Fushi Shusha stuff, whereas... The Time Is Nigh is like this annihilating black hole of an album that I think I recently reviewed for the podcast and is... Their stuff is very difficult to review anyway because it's so abstract and it's like an experience to listen to it rather than music in an entertainment sense. (laughs) So I make that mini recommendation. That album is awesome and I'm glad I've got it. But I wanted to recommend the 2012 album by Flesh Press who... I don't know if I've talked a lot about on this podcast, but it's Marco from Pain Nail and Miko from, well, Freak Animal and all the rest of the stuff. If you listen to this, you know who Miko Aspa is. On drums, they used to have a different guy on vocals. Now Marco does, I think Marco's still doing vocals and guitar, if memory serves me. 
but they're one, they were like really a big deal for a while because they had this very weird take on sludge metal that alternated from like droning weird long build up psych rock meets post rock meets kraut rock whatever type right. of shit like if you're into can or new or godspeed you black emperor but also liked the idea of existential physical torture and I do like that idea yeah and then like you know doom metal but not funeral doom this weirder shit like this is the music for you and I've been listening to Flesh Press for a long ass time I normally buy all their stuff right when it comes out although I have not heard their most recent and this album fucking rules they it was the first I believe it was the first album they did once their old vocalist left and it peaks on this song called, what is it? Floating Paranoia, which is the first song on the second side. And it's, we didn't get a chance to listen to it together, although I've probably played it for you in the past. And it's just this, like, they, they have an incredibly warm sound for the most part that feels very, like, a mixture of 70s production style and... Steve Albini, but not in a way that is like Electric Wizard or Salem's Pot or any of those retro throwback bands that like worship their amps endlessly and all that, which is like fine to a point, but they just sound really good. They sound like they could have been around in the 70s had metal been a little bit heavier. And they, everything they do is inherently psychedelic, but not in a cheesy way, just in this natural sort of stormy, chaotic, existential shit meets like big fucking rocks dense forests and other stuff like I don't know it's weird fucking music at the end of the day and they have an album called Worm Dirges which is just sick and (laughs) totally awesome but Tearing Sky Holes is I think more accessible than a lot of their, their, their early work was like all their songs were 20 or 30 minutes long this one has short songs and long songs and whatever else and part of why I wanted to recommend it was I hadn't really sat down and listened to it, listened to it in a while. And last week, the power was out in my apartment for four days because of downed lines due to a huge storm. Yeah, it definitely wasn't because you crossed me last time we recorded an episode. <laughs> yeah. And the so Flex Alexa decided to sleep at her parents' house where they had air conditioning. And I thought, I'm going to tough it out. I don't even care. I don't need air conditioning. So I'm sitting sweating profusely on my couch, praying for death or the power, neither of which come on. And I decide to put this album on and I'm laying on the smaller couch because it's closer to the window. So I get like the slight breeze occasionally tickle me and like <laughs> wick a bead of sweat away. And it just was so perfect. It was like my physical malaise melded so naturally with the malaise of the music itself to the point where I felt like I was floating at one point, and then I felt incredibly sick. And I could have just eaten something weird, but it was... You could have been overheated. I was... Well, oh yeah, that's a good point. I was, I think, partially disassociating, and it was just like a weird whole physical experience to listen to this record. And I was like, God damn, this is good. Like, this is just <laughs> real... I just sat in a cold shower for a while after, but... Yeah, it's a fucking, it's a really nice album. Pillars was like their big, everybody was so hyped on Pillars. And I, it's an incredible album, but it's, I don't know, an hour and a half long and the songs are super long and I just like don't have time to listen to Pillars. Whereas 
tearing sky holes is feels Much like more a, manageable. Yeah, it feels like a breeze and is one of those things where I would show it to somebody who doesn't know sludge in order to try to get them into it. And I did give Jeff, our buddy Jeff, um, one of their EPs, the, gosh, what is it called? It's not Rebuild Crumble. It was the sister EP to that. But the last song is like Spiral Pyramid weighing you down into... Forcing you down into something. Ah, oh, fuck, dude. I wish I could remember lyrics. <laughs> I really can't. I can't remember my own, let alone somebody else's, but. A spiral vortex forcing you down into Black Pyramid, or Black Pyramid forcing you down into Spiral Vortex, but it's just this whole like, huge 12 minute groove, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's good. It's, it's real good. So, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. I expect I'll be, I don't know, I could do an Unseen album for the next seven weeks, but I'm not going to do that. And okay. we'll see where I'm at next time. So, but that's it. That's all we got. So, thank you for bearing with us and allowing us to indulge ourselves so that we can indulge you and Dolce, Trace, Lace, Chase... What? Uh, well, I, I'm are just you okay? naming desserts, yeah. <laughs> no, you are. Thank you. Thank you. So, you can get us on Instagram at Motel Hell Podcast. Love it. Tell me more. You can get us on Facebook at Motel Hell Podcast. Fuck. Yep. You can email us at motelhellpodcast at gmail.com. Danny. You can find our Instagrams, if you really care, on our SoundCloud, which is Motel Hell Podcast. Please, if you would, kind sir, subscribe, rate... Or woman. Or woman. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Write a review anywhere, on the Facebook, Fine. on the side of a wall. Take a picture of it. Send Tag it us, us on Instagram. Yeah. But, yeah, that would be sick. Please do more of that. Yes, it would be sick. Remember, we do this for you. I am so hot and dehydrated, and I have to drive home and hopefully not die. You'll be fine, little bitch. Anyway, later, nerds. Later.